today I, I want us to return to what we have been doing since Easter in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. You know, we celebrated Easter and the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I've been asking the question, how are we going to get the world to sit up and take notice and pay attention to the gospel message that we preach? How can our lives bear witness more effectively of Christ so the world will hear our message? Because if they don't see our lives and our message matching up, they're not going to listen. So Paul's had a great deal to say to us in Ephesians chapter 5 about how we live out the light of Jesus Christ in a very dark culture. We're continuing to look at that this morning from Ephesians 5 verses 15 to 17. And the topic we're going to be covering today is understanding the urgency of life and of God's will. Understanding the urgency of life and of God's will. And he's continuing to tell us how we are to be imitators of God as God's only uh, as God's dearly beloved children. So find that uh, passage in your copy of the scripture and stand with me for the reading of God's word, please. Again, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 15, and we'll uh, read down through verse 17. He says there, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Father, I pray that you would help us to see and to understand what you're saying to your church through Ephesians 5. I think of Jesus' invitation to the churches in, in Revelation 2 and 3 where he said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So God, this morning, open our ears, open our understanding, open our eyes to not only understand the message that you communicate to us in your word, but Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us the wisdom and the power and the guidance to live it out. God, I pray that the watching world would look at our, eye, uh, look at our lives and, and say, there's a difference in those people. We want what they have. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live so and that our lives would be salt and light in this world. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of the Psalms are from King David or some other writer. We don't think of Moses writing Psalms, but Moses did. And I want you to listen to what Moses said in Psalm uh, 90, it's actually a prayer of Moses. Moses says, For all of our days pass away under your wrath. 
We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. I like what the NLT says. 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but even the best years are filled with pain and trouble and soon they disappear and we fly away. Moses goes on to say in verse 11, Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Again in the NLT, it says, Teach us to realize the brevity of life. The brevity of life. Folks, those words certainly say something to us about the importance of every single day of our lives. We know that life is very fragile and life is a vapor. I think of these kids standing up here this morning. I remember visiting the hospital when many of them were born and they were just newborn babes, infants. And here they are this morning standing up here on the stage and they're leading us in worship. Life is a vapor. Now folks, given that reality, how should believers live their lives? How should we conduct ourselves? How should we treat the opportunities that God gives to us? What are we investing our lives in? What are we trading the day of our lives for? That's what we see Paul addressing here. What we learn from this passage is that from the very moment of our conversion, time and opportunities are to take on an added significance. We aren't simply to look at our time and our opportunities and our days the way the unbeliever does. The unbeliever is just marking time, but we are to live differently. First of all, this morning I want you to see with me that Paul is instructing us to take care as to how you walk. Take care as to how you walk. Uh, Drop back up to verse 11 with me. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now if you're reading from the King James Version this morning, you'll notice in verse 15 that that the way it phrases it, it says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly means that we are to look around as we walk. We are to pay attention as we walk. We're to give care to our steps. We tell young people to do that, don't we? When they leave home in the morning, sometimes we caution them about their friends and who they hang out with and what they do. And they'll be getting ready to go off on a trip. And what do we say? Be careful. Pay attention to your surroundings. In other words, what are we telling them? To walk circumspectly. 
We're to walk carefully. We're to pay attention to our lifestyles. What are the patterns that are governing our lives? What are our habits? What are we trading a day of our lives for? You see, the person who doesn't recognize God just gets up and goes about life never thinking of the larger, central, and eternal issues of life. But we know as believers we're not to live that way. We need to do periodic checkups on our life and ask ourselves, as a Christian, am I walking circumspectly? Am I paying attention to how I'm walking? And I'm being, am I being mindful of what I'm dwelling on in my thoughts? Am I being mindful of how I speak of others? Is my language, is my thought Christ-honoring? We need to do a checkup. Paul says here that we are not to go around walking in foolishness. We're not to walk like those around us in the culture. Look back at Ephesians chapter 4 beginning there in verse 17. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the hardness that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. We're not to walk like those around us in the culture. Paul points out here that the lost man walks in a very foolish way. He says he walks in the futility of his mind. His mind is, is governed by darkness. And that's how he walks. His heart is calloused. He can be highly educated. He can be brilliant in the ways of the world. But nonetheless, he walks without true understanding. And because of that, he only lives in the moment. He only lives in the moment and he only lives for the material. That's foolish living. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 1 says about that. He says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And then in Proverbs 2, he says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding he stores up sound wisdom for, for the upright he's a shield to those who walk in integrity 
And so over and over again in both Testaments, the Old and the New Testament, God is commanding us and challenging us to walk carefully, to walk circumspectly, to examine our steps. Why? Because an unexamined life is going to be a wasted life. An unexamined life is going to be a wasted life. So we're not to walk in foolishness. But he goes on here to say that we are to walk in wisdom. If you drop back to uh, verse 14, notice what he's saying. It's like he's saying, wake up. You need to arise out of your sleep. You need to arise out of your slumber. It's time for Christians everywhere to wake up. We need to wake up and walk in God's wisdom. I want you to remember Paul is writing to Gentiles here who had a very checkered past. But now as he's pointed out in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, they have been quickened in their spirit. They've been regenerated. They've been saved. Their whole orientation in life and eternity has changed. And so now they need to live like who they really are. He goes on to to talk to them about waking up and and walking in wisdom. You know, there's two kinds of wisdom, the Bible says, that we can walk in. James says there is a wisdom of the world, a wisdom from below, and there's a wisdom from above. Listen to what James says about the two different kinds of wisdom. He says, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which is from above, but it is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But then he goes on to talk about the wisdom from above. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Folks, that's the wisdom that we need to walk in, the wisdom from above, the wisdom that's from God. We need to know the ways of God and practice the ways of God. And how's the wisdom of God going to be seen in our lives? By the way we walk, by the way we conduct ourselves, that we are walking circumspectly. I think the most tragic case perhaps in the Old Testament about walking in wisdom would be the example of of Samson. Samson was a man who was anointed from his birth. He was set apart by God from his very birth. And God raised him up to be a judge in Israel and God set him apart as a leader. But Samson couldn't control himself. Samson was a man who couldn't control his fleshly appetites, his sexual urges. He set his affections on a Philistine woman, knowing that God had told them they weren't not to, to marry outside of their faith, but he, he wanted to anyway because she looked good to him. And then after that, he, he got his life tangled up with, with prostitutes and then with Delilah. 
Samson compromised everything about his life. And it cost him. Now, I happen to be one who thinks Samson was a saved man. You say, I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, you should agree with that because it's not my opinion. It's what Hebrews 11 says about him. Hebrews 11 describes Samson in, in that roll call of, he, uh, the, the, the roll call of, of, of heroes, heroes in our faith. Believe it or not, Samson's included in that list. So I think God is saying he was a believer, but he didn't walk circumspectly. He didn't walk carefully. He didn't pay attention to how he walked, and he ended up compromising everything about his life, and he lost his witness, and the way he lived ended up costing him his very life. So folks, Folks, we need to walk wisely. We need to walk in wisdom. The lost world needs to see the body of Christ walking in wisdom, God's wisdom. Second admonition here, take, take care as to how you use your time. Take care as to how you use your time. In verse 16, notice Paul says, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Actually, how we use our time is a reflection of what we do at the first point, walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom is shown by what we do with each and every day. Christians need to consider time more carefully than we do. Dr. John MacArthur says of this verse, outside of purposeful disobedience of God's word, the most spiritually foolish thing a Christian can do is to waste time and opportunity. I want you to think with me about the importance of time in biblical thinking. For some religions, both then and now, history is, is meaningless. Cyclical. It was cyclical. Where you live, you die, you come back as something else. If you lived well, you might come back rich and famous. Did you see the wedding? Anybody see parts of the wedding yesterday? The royal wedding? You live well, some religions of the world, you live well, you might come back as royalty. You don't live well, you might come back as some kind of animal. Take, for instance, the people around the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Many of them were part of these type nature religions. They identified their gods with, with different forces in nature, the sun, the moon, the wind, the rain. And again, everything was cyclical. History had no meaning whatsoever. But the faith of the Bible is a historical faith. History means something. It's linear. God's writing history, there, there is a deep and a profound purpose in history. We see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. God called Abraham. He made him a promise that would be fulfilled in history. The incarnation of Jesus Christ was the decisive point of God's intervention in history. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time came... 
God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Again, history means something. And what are we looking forward to today? We're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ one day. And so given that thought that that history and time means a great deal in in the Bible, Paul is saying, Christians, you you need to wake up. You need to be alert to what you're doing with your time. What are you doing with your life? How are you spending your life? Patrick Henry said, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country. Christians ought to live uh, so cognizant of our time and opportunity serving the Lord that it's like we would say, I I regret that I have but one life to live for the Lord. What are you doing with your one life? We have a call to serve God in time and in culture. This culture right here, we're fixed to this. This moment in history. How does God want to use you? How does God want to use this church at this point, right where we are, in this culture that we live in at this particular time? So what are we to do? Well, we have here the command to seize time. Paul says, redeem the time, redeem the kairos. That's the word. It's not the word chronos. Chronos is calendar time, like the time on your watch, the time on your calendar. That's not the word he uses here. He uses the word kairos, a special moment of opportunity is what that word means. Jesus said, my appointed time, my kairos is near. Now what this means is Christians are to view time differently. We're not just marking chronos time. We are practicing kairos moments within our chronos time. Why is this important? Because the Bible says left to themselves the days are evil. Think of what he's saying in that phrase. If we just let time on planet earth tick by and and we don't purpose as believers to do something with it, what's the outcome going to be? We're just kind of going to drift in the direction of the world, aren't we? Sort of like water flows downhill. Or electricity picks the least path of resistance. We're just going to go with the flow. You don't have to do anything to just go with the flow. Just do nothing. You'll go with the flow. But you know what? To go in the other direction takes takes purpose and effort. You have to purpose every single day to seek after the heart and mind of the Lord and to serve God with your time. You got a purpose to do that. John Stott, a famous pastor and commentator, he's passed away now, he said he would roll out of bed every morning and and he would picture in his mind rolling up on the altar and saying, God, I'm a living sacrifice to be used by you today. Folks, that's redeeming the time. That's redeeming the time. 
Listen to the way Paul sets this whole thing up. He, he says that you went with the flow long enough. You live like unbelievers long enough. Every one of us, you can look back on your life, wasted time, wasted years, wasted opportunities from the Christian perspective. Paul is saying now, now buy back some of that time, redeem some of that time, and he uses a word that was common in the marketplace when you would buy something up. So he's saying time's like a commodity, buy it up, redeem it for the Lord's use. You've wasted enough of it. What we have left, redeem it for the sake of the gospel. How many more years do you have left? You don't know. I don't know. You may not even have the rest of today. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? What are you going to purpose to do with the rest of your life to redeem the time? To buy back time for the Lord. The great theologian Charles Hodge once defined it, rescuing time from waste and abuse. The great 16th century reformer Philip Melanchthon kept a record of every wasted moment. He would reflect on every single day and, and in his devotion time he would write down all the moments and opportunities he had wasted that day. The end of the day he would go before the Lord and that was part of his confession of sin. The way he had wasted time and opportunities. Is it any wonder that God used that man as greatly as he did? Time's precious. Opportunities are passing by. Your opportunities in life that God's given you are passing by. I think of the joke of the man who went to see his doctor and the doctor said, I got good news and bad news for you. Which you want to hear first? The man said, I want to hear the good news first. He said, okay, good news is you've got a terminal disease and you've only got 24 hours to live. The man said, what? That's the good news? If that's the good news, what's the bad news? The doctor said, I was supposed to call you yesterday. <laughs> Every day is a gift from God. Lamentations 3 verses 22 and 23 says, The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. We're prone to two extremes. We waste away time at one end of the spectrum, procrastination, poor choices, idleness. On the other end of the spectrum, some people drive themselves relentlessly. And they never rest. They never relax. Both of those extremes leave, leave God out. One psychologist surveyed 3,000 people and asked them what they were living for. 94% said they were simply enduring today and trying to make it into tomorrow. That's sad, isn't it? But Paul says we're to redeem the time. How do we do that? Use the prayer principle. Beginning of each day. God, help my eyes to be open and my ears to be open to what you have for me today. God, you may think your day's going in one direction. God may have other plans for your life. Are you open to that? Are you open to God interrupting your plans, taking you in a new direction for the day? How about the people around you that you need to minister to, that they're your mission field? God, help me to see them. Help me to hear them. 
Help me to be available to share the good news of Christ with them. Prayer principle at the beginning of each day. The priority principle too. What's the best way you can use your time for the Lord? Life would be so simple if everything were just a choice between good and bad. But much of life isn't that simple. It's, it's a choice between the good and the best. Jesus only lived somewhere, remember what I told you on Palm Sunday, the, the timeline of his life? Probably no New Testament scholar thinks that, that Jesus was just 33 years of age. They do a timeline based on Herod and when Christ was born, the date of his crucifixion and the times that Passover fell when it did. Jesus was somewhere between 36 and 39 years of age. And yet, such a young life anyway, when when he died on the cross, he was able to say, it is finished. And and right before dying on the cross, remember what he said in, in John chapter 17 in that great high priestly prayer? Jesus said, Father, the things that you've given me to do, I have done. Now, keep in mind, there were many villages that Jesus never visited. There were many people that Jesus didn't see. And yet, Jesus was able to say, Father, what you've given me to do, I've done. We need to see that the urgent can keep us from the best. Folks, don't take time for granted. Don't take time for granted. You and I may not have as much of it as we think. Jesus' parable of the ten virgins, the five foolish virgins thought they had a lot more time than they did. And they didn't have time. They knocked on the door and The host at the door said, depart from me. I never knew you. Prayer principle and priority principle. To help you choose what God wants of you today. Redeem the time. Don't just mark time. Don't just leave time and opportunities to accident. Trust God with it. Third thing I want you to see today from verse 17. Take care to understand the will of God. He says in verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The foolish person not only misses opportunities to make wise use of time, he has a more fundamental problem. He does not understand what God's purposes are for mankind. When Paul met the Lord, he asked the two most important questions anybody could ever ask. Lord, who are you? And secondly, what do you want me to do? And he spent the rest of his years fleshing that out. What do you want me to do? What's your will, God? Nothing more critical than that right there. What's your will? Pastors are asked about the will of God in counseling sessions more than any other question. Pastor, can you help me discern the will of God for my life? Sat down this week. Very successful 56-year-old gentleman who's already retired, 56 years of age, very well off. And he's saying now, God, what do you want with me? What what am I to do? What's your will for this last 
chapter of my life. You know, I tell people the first step in knowing the will of God, understanding the will of God, is to know the Word of God. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. I think about when I first got saved, I, I started just passionately reading the letters and the epistles, beginning with Romans and going through to the end of the Bible. Now, every part of the Bible is just as inspired as every other part, but what are the letters? What are the epistles? They are God's instructions to believers and to churches and how you are to live now that you're a Christian. So I thought, that's a good place to start. To learn how a Christian is supposed to live their life. Saturate yourself in the Word of God. Take notes in your Bible. Now, why is this so important? Because if I'm going to know the will of God, I need to know what God is like and how He has dealt with others. And where do you learn that? From the Scripture. In fact, you know what? I think probably 90% of the will of God, you will know the will of God, probably 90% of it for your life, if you know the Word of God. And you know what? The rest of it that's gray by knowing the Word of God and how God has dealt with people and what He commands and principles that He gives, you're going to be able to discern what to do with those gray areas of your life. Should I go into business with a non-believer? No. Should I marry a non-believer? No. Should I be generous in giving to the things of God? Yes. Does God want me sharing my faith and serving in the church? Yes. 90% of what people come to me and say, Pastor, what's God's will? Some, they'll tell me about scenarios they're facing. I'll say, just, I want you to think about something. We'll sit there and we'll read a couple of passages. And they'll say, whoa, that's what I need to do. I didn't realize that was in the Bible. That's my answer, what I need to do. Now, again, I realize not all of it is. Should I buy this house or that house? The Bible's not going to tell you that. But should I buy a house above my budget? No. God doesn't want me being a financial slave. Hobbies I'm going to do in my life. Things that I'm going to do. Am I going to be free to still be able to give to the things of God? What if God wants me going on a mission trip? Am I going to end up in financial bondage with what I buy? Cars, houses, lands, whatever, hobbies. Does God want me strapped? No. Folks, instead of a nicer car or a bigger and better house or a bigger and better vacation, maybe God would have you take extra income and support a missionary family. Just something to consider. You see, in America, we tend to think if my expendable income increases, I can just simply buy more. No, why not think differently? If my income increases, why not give more and save more? Christians are giving, according to Pew Research, about 2% today. Not a tithe, about 2%. We are giving now several percentage points less than Christians gave during the Great Depression. That's sad, isn't it? 
I've known men come to me and say, Pastor, I know God's calling me into the ministry, but I can't now. I'm, I'm in too much financial bondage. I can't. Does the will of God have things to say about all that? Yes. Yes. As you're praying, examine your heart. Have I been obedient to God? Is there, is there some area of my life that I knew God was telling me to do something and I haven't obeyed Him in that? If I haven't obeyed God in the obvious things He's commanded in His Word, if I haven't obeyed Him in what, he, what He's already told me to do, why do I think God's going to give me further instruction? God might be saying to me, go back and do what I told you to do earlier. And then once you've taken care of that, then I'll reveal more to you. Understanding the will of God. Walking in God's wisdom. Redeeming the time. Making the most of your opportunities. Understanding the will of the Lord. And notice the contrast that he makes. Anything other than understanding the will of the Lord is what? Living foolishly. Makes sense, doesn't it? If he's the sovereign God of the universe, if I don't know his will and do his will, then I'm living pretty foolishly. What's it going to look like to a watching world when they see us? Walking in God's wisdom. Living with passion and purpose about our time and opportunities. Seeking above all to know God's will in our life and do His will. You know what? When they see us living that way, again, maybe they'll be more apt to believe the message that we talked to them about. But if they see people living just like they're living, they're going to say, I'm... I'm doing that already. Why, why do I need what, what you say you have? You don't appear to have anything different than me. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. If you need to make some decisions this morning about how you're walking, the, the altar's open for prayer. You may want to bring somebody forward with, with you. Maybe your maybe you're mate. Maybe there's some issues you're praying about. And together, the two of you need to reach a point of surrender. God, regardless of what we want, your will be done. See, according to James 1, if you have your plan in your back pocket and you're saying, God, show me your way and then I'm going to take it out and weigh it against my plan. I might go your way, I might go my way. God's not going to show you his way. James says you're a double-minded man, unstable. But maybe you need to come to the altar and say, God, I surrender whatever you want. Maybe you're guilty of just sort of treading water through each day and not really paying attention to your time, not paying attention to your relationships. Say, God, change my heart. Change my Thinking. Help me to live wisely. Whatever time I have left, help me to redeem the time.
Lord, speak to your people. Touch our hearts about these issues we've been studying about in, in Ephesians 5, about walking in love and walking in purity and holiness, waking up to these times that we live in and being different. God, challenge us, convict us, change us that we indeed might be a people on mission for you in this world. It's in Christ's name that we pray.